Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo. With, with me today is Dan Lyons. Happy home opener against an FCS opponent week. Happy Last year, East Football is a 1-0, is 1-0 week. We are 1-0. It's a home opener. There's a bunch of, of stuff that's going to be happening at the home opener. So says Syracuse Athletics. Uh, In a release that no one knew about until like five hours after it came out? Yeah. I wrote about that today, and by today I mean Thursday, for those listening to this on Friday. Dan, what was the most exciting thing that you saw on there? Because like some of this stuff was weird. Um, the, the 50% off food and drink discount thing seemed interesting. But again, like, do you really need to sit in the dome for two and a half hours? <laughs> the, the late game supercard discounts were great, except for the fact that it's, it's just, A, there is no set discount amount, and B, it's really just a way to get rid of like food that was made that's not going to get sold. I don't really have a problem with any of that. Like, I think that's fine. I, I'm, I'm all for like unique, low, like there's, there's no real downside to doing stuff like that. Like you're going to have your Sabaros pizzas made anyway. And if you can get some students to stick around because they can get like a $1 or $2, I don't know if they know prices, so like a, a couple buck uh, giant cardboardy slice, like, you know, more power to them. I'm not too, too you know against anything like that if, if it keeps people in the dome, um, especially in a game like this that didn't want to test it out because Wagner will hopefully go like the first, second, and fourth quarters of last week's game and not so much like the third. So we might like, you know, it's going to be a game where people are probably going to have a, a you know desire to leave early and we'll see if we can like negate any of the impact there. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm not too concerned. I do think some of the interesting things, like I don't think that's going to get anybody in the door necessarily. I think it's just a, a thing that doesn't really hurt anybody. I saw the, the in-venue show, um, the Syracuse Saturday thing, I thought was cool. Uh, just because, I don't know, they, haven't, they didn't have that before, right? It's kind of like the TK99, I think, is hosting it. With uh, James Mungro and some others. Um, they used to host something by like the Sheridan. Are they doing it in the Dome now? Yes, they're doing it in the Dome now. Oh, all right. That's interesting. I haven't gone through like everything here. I saw it come out. But um, I saw like the point system thing, which was... Um, I guess, like, kind of an updated version of what they tried to do with Otto's Army a couple years ago. It's all, like, interesting stuff. I don't know if all of it will work, but I give them credit for trying some different stuff that, you know, may be hit or miss, but but we'll find out, and it, it's worth trying because, obviously, everyone, including Syracuse, is having attendance issues. Obviously not a unique Syracuse problem, but it's one we've been having for a while, so anything that can try to mitigate that is, is I'm all for it, as long as it's not, like, super ridiculous. Yeah, I completely agree. It's... I said in the post, I hope this is the start of, of a greater conversation and some greater ideas. I think this is a good base point. Let's get some feedback on this stuff. Let's see what works and what doesn't, and, uh, and maybe incorporate some new things with the learnings we get from 2018. But uh, Syracuse does seem to be moving in the right direction. I think you can credit John Wildhack. A lot of that, you know, somebody who, you know, despite uh, how important he was at ESPN, was a fan, was involved in fan conversations, did understand even from like his own perspective what fans want and need at the dome so i think you know that that, that's really helping and again glad glad to see that stuff being implemented and and let's see if if that plus hopefully a a a more winning season than we've had of late get more people in the door yep i mean just any 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 type of trying something new is good because it's we go so long between like actual not even radical but even like small changes in our game day stuff and like the stuff on the periphery that most people don't think about like we we've been so stagnant for so long the dvd experience like changes so little from year to year it's nice it's nice to just break out of the run and at least pretend like we're interested in trying to shake things up and, and see if there's like a better way to do things because clearly there is 
Agreed, agreed. Um, speaking of better ways to do things, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about last week's action before we get into this week's action. I'm sure everybody at this point has, has watched or pretended to watch or read a couple recaps of, uh, of what Syracuse football did on Friday. Uh, they were able to defeat the Western Michigan Broncos 55-42. That score makes it sound much closer than it actually was. Though, uh, though SU did give us a scare there in the third quarter for a bit. And at the same time, <laughs> way, way farther away than it seemed for <laughs> a, about a good 15 minutes. But it felt like hours. It was, it was the weirdest game. I, it's probably not the weirdest game because I've, you know, Syracuse has some bizarre games every year. The Wake Forest game every year for some reason. Yeah, this was definitely on the short list though of the strangest, definitely the strangest double digit wins Syracuse has ever had for yes. sure. At least in my experience as a Syracuse fan, like never have I been so nervous up like 14 in the third quarter against like a decent team, but that has never really challenged. And then obviously they cut it to a touchdown. I've I've very rarely seen a Jekyll and Hyde type performance between the first, second, fourth, and then the third quarter. So um, I actually was in a kind of a Twitter chat with Bud Elliott the other day, and I actually went through and broke down the actual like quarter by quarter numbers to looking up. Yeah, so so when Dungey was in the game. Uh, Syracuse outscored Western Michigan 55 to 21, and with Dungey out of the game, uh, we were outscored 21 nothing. But then the, the the yardage for Western Michigan, uh, we surrendered 336 of the 621 yards uh, to do with 28 points in the third quarter. The other quarters we surrendered 99, 91, and 128 yards. And one of those in the fourth quarter, like they had that long drive that we were just trying to like you know kill clock and and bend not break. So it was just. We tweeted it, you know, between each other, like, it doesn't make any sense why Dungy has such a huge effect on the defense, unless you've watched, like, literally any moment of the last four years of Syracuse football. And then it makes all the sense in the world, even if you can't, like, actually define it. Yeah, I, uh, I don't really, I mean, I, I have to agree with you. Uh, the, the, this game really does stand out somehow in, in the history of really dumb Syracuse games. And, like, dumb Syracuse games go much further back than, like, either of our fandoms. And especially either of our like detailed fandoms, this game is definitely up there with the dumbest games of the Dino Babers era. I would say last year's Wake Forest game is probably number one, and probably and the, the, the pit the pit game is, is the pit game as well for like different reasons. Yes, this uh the, the, this inhabits the like space in between those two. The third quarter of this game felt like if you just turn the pit game the uh, Wake Forest game into like a nice little like thirty minutes of your life. But we ended up winning versus the Wake Forest game, which was just agonizing for the entire second half, basically. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I do feel like during the Dino Babers era, there is a, there is a specific brand of dumb game, and that's fine. It's kind of comes with the territory, but yeah, it's a very specific brand of dumb game that 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 always involves like the the bottom falling out randomly at, at some time and then like either not coming back together and actually getting worse see the wake forest game getting worse to the other team as well see the pit game uh <laughs> there's there, there's the fervent comeback so this one the wake forest game the middle tennessee game last year one that we do not speak of much uh like yeah i'd say this is the babers era dumb game i feel like the scott schaefer era dumb games were were not dumb necessarily they were just like soul-sucking because you saw it coming from a mile away and then just, like, just rolled down the hill with the team. Yeah. I'd say Marone was either oh, the, his... the first game ever, the Northwest or the, uh, 
Northwestern game with the Paula step over his head that we lost in overtime, or the Louisville game that year where we lost like ten to nine and like there was like a hundred total yards. But to me, that's like the same brand of dumb game. Like those two games, the USF win, I would say, like the first pinstripe bowl win, like a lot of those maroon, like the Rutgers, like any of the Rutgers losses, like all. Oh of, God! Yeah, the, like the twenty. <laughs> All the of those were own games. The season that kept us out of a bowl. Yeah. Where Chan Jones had a pick six and, like, was, like, playing on, like, a torn everything and couldn't get to the end zone. Yeah, like, all, all of the, I feel like all of Marone's, like, like the Toledo win, like, all of, all of Marone's dumb games followed the exact same script. <laughs> like, winner, winner, lose. scoring and, like, every point meant so much and we just, I mean, some of them were wins, but, like, it all came down to one, like, like stupidly dramatic touchdown that, like, either team was so lucky to get like that the Ryan Nassim drive against USF which lasted like an, an eternity to win the game uh down there um every win on the road that year pretty much oh the the how about the, the Marone or was it Robinson the loss to uh the loss to West Virginia on the road oh god uh, was that the first year of Marone or the last year of Robinson that was the Notre Dame game the Robinson Notre Dame game is definitely a dumb game that's a dumb game but like Robinson's dumb games, like Rob Robinson inhabited I think both. Robinson's wins were the dumb games. Yeah, no, Robinson's wins were all the dumb the games. Louisville win was definitely a dumb game. The 07 Louisville win that we almost lost anyway. Yep, that was a dumb game. the The Iowa game was 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 a loss, but the dumbest of all games, and <laughs> and, and the game that I, I continually cite as like the one that has most shaped my Syracuse fandom and continues to to this day. It's basically like anything that comes down to a moment that could only ever happen in college football and would never happen in the NFL is basically like what fits the, the bill here. And that's, that's you know, we're saying that as people who like college football more than the NFL. There's just a brand of stupidity that occurs in college football that you just do not get at the higher levels that those people just, the people that prefer the NFL or only watch the NFL, just don't seem to enjoy. And I think it probably goes along the same lines of like what types of comedies you enjoy. I think there's like a uh, an actual like personality trait that drives someone to enjoy the like stupidest portions of college football versus like, enjoying an NFL pub battle that's ever, ever taken entirely too seriously. No, that, that's totally fair. I feel like from any time we've talked about non-football topics, you and I enjoy the same brand of dark comedy, and, and college football, and Syracuse in particular, might be the darkest comedy <laughs> of all. It's so so well in. Yeah, like anyone I know that watches the shows I watch is probably like either in college football media or is a very big college football fan. They're definitely a fan of a middling Power 5 team that can't get out of its own way. Right. Of which there are many. Tons. Like Kansas, who has... Like, literally, like, most of them. I... Like, of them. But, but before we get back to Syracuse stuff, this is the last thing we're going to say about this before we get to the Western Michigan game. I called my shot last week on Kansas. You took the, you took the bait and ran with it in public. Oh, 100%. I put it in, in my, my staff pitch for the spun. I took nickels. I was the only one to take nickels. And man, it paid off. Did, did you go to Vegas for that one? I or, wish. Or, or, yeah, I know. I, I didn't even look for the line anywhere because, like, usually you can't get You can sometimes get them right at the last minute, but. Maybe a um, halftime line would have been around. It might have. I, I should, well, this week they played Central Michigan. Um, I really should have. And I should have for ECU as well. ECU is, like, just as bad. And especially after the rain out on Saturday night, I should have I should have hit that hard Sunday morning, and I just forgot. I, I do not blame you, but uh, yeah, I don't know how uh, David Beattie still has a job, but he does. So I, I wrote it this week. Like I think it's it's Beattie or Montgomery, and I don't know who, did, who gets fired first. I think 
I think they might let Beatty hang around longer just because they feel bad, um, and because Lon's probably Jeff Lon, the former Arkansas ED who's now at Kansas, has probably already like had this whole list, and he's probably very well prepared. I think ECU, their fans are just so much like like Kansas has been so bad for like not like, basically since '07. ECU fans like, care is the problem. ECU fans care a lot, and there's nothing else going on there. And like, they're a really good fan base and pretty ravenous. Like they're they're really mad. Yeah. Um, they're definitely more angry than Kansas fans. Kansas fans are just like resigned. They're like they're yeah, they're Eeyore at this point, <laughs> which you can't really blame them for. Because like as bad as Syracuse has been for however long, like we have some bowls and like we have a coach over the NFL and we've had like bright moments. We beat Clemson and Virginia Tech in back to back years. We beat West Virginia. We beat little Teddy Bridgewater. Like we've had some moments. Kansas hasn't had anything near that. They beat Except Texas. They beat, they beat Texas. <laughs> they beat a bad Texas team once. This is true. Uh, anyway, uh, stay tuned for next week's Kansas uh, head coach chat. Does David Beatty stick around? Does he hire? Does he hire Bert? I think yes. Uh, if Bert wants to come back to the college, which is a big question, because apparently he likes being Bill Belichick's like whatever, like assistant to the to the regional manager that he is in New England. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't really blame him for that. It also, really doesn't require you to do much. So, so a, a, a nice, a nice boost for him right now, and maybe he comes back. Who knows? But yeah, back to back to Syracuse and Western Michigan. As mentioned, uh, dumb game on, on a on a different scale than than maybe we've seen lately. Uh, nonetheless, Eric Dungey has a very weird seven for seventeen, which included numerous drops from Devin Butler and Sean Riley. Still has 184 passing yards. Still has two touchdowns. Both of those were to Jamal Custis, who had the breakout game that Dan and I have been hoping for, for for years now. Finally has that game. Six re- uh, receptions, could have been more, uh, for 168 yards, two touchdowns. I feel like every uh, every season under Babers, there's been a receiver that's blown up in, in game one, and it's it's not that it's someone that's completely out of, out of uh, you know, conceivable range, but at the same time, because like, like D- Steve Ishmael, you, you figured, but uh, at the same time, like, this is now the third straight opener that like a receiver is really just kind of blown up for the orange, even if he didn't have the total receptions to back that up, he did have the yardage and the touchdowns. Um, he also had, you know, that Sports Center top play, and, and in general, looked like one of the best athletes on the field. This is the player that you and I again have been celebrating for years as, as somebody who who should be this, and, and it's always been confusing why he isn't. Do you think that this was just an anomaly against a middling Western Michigan defense that decided to single cover him all game for idiotic reasons, or do you think that this Jamal Custis is the one we're going to see all season? I'm really up in the air because the, the physical tools are there, as we've pointed out so many times in this podcast. Um, and he actually showed like more than I even think we would have imagined his use would be. We knew he had the speed. We knew he had the size. But the way he was able to catch the ball so softly, make moves, like the juke was awesome after the one-handed catch, he looked like a fully formed like all-around receiver versus, like I think we both pictured him as like a guy who could be a matchup problem on the corner of the end zone. Yeah, back pylon, like, jump ball because, guy. Right, like a really useful, if maybe kind of a role niche player who could like store a lot of touchdowns. He looked like he could do it all. It, it, like he looked so natural catching the ball, which is shocking, given like how little we've seen from him. Although a lot of that's injury based, but it wasn't even like we we heard too much about him coming into the game. Like he got the start late, and it sounded like he had a good late like last week of practice. But it wasn't like he was dominating the the, the summer. Devin Butler was the guy we heard most about. So I hope. That's the guy going forward. It's not like it's not like the matchup problems are going to go away for opponents. Like he's not shrinking or getting slower between. I mean, God willing, uh, between now and next week and like the rest of the season. So 
I don't see why he can't be like some version of this. I don't know that he's going to have, you know, 168 yards and two touchdowns every game, but I'm better tower kind of almost did. So like we've, we've seen this offense produce crazy, crazy receiver stat lines. And we said like someone needed to step up. And if it's him, like that's scary because they're there. I just don't know who in, who in college football is covering this guy. Uh, aside from maybe some of the elite safeties um, or the like, really elite cover guys who can get, in, get into his chest and disrupt him, because he does have that speed. His speed's really impressive for for a guy that size. Well, yeah, and he, you know, over the off season too, he dropped about 15 pounds from where he was at playing weight wise the last couple of years. So he's only around like 215, 217 now. So he's been able to add to his speed, keep a lot of that upper, uh, you know, upper body strength, and, and it seems like again he's healthy. He's he's balanced out there. The, the attention and, and the, the balance and, and the playmaking ability that he showed on that one-handed catch uh, for a touchdown was, was absolutely insane. I mean, I wouldn't make a comparison necessarily to Steve Ishmael because Ishmael was big but also a different type of big player. And I think, you know, a lot of Ishmael's skill set came from just being a great route runner, um, being a great blocker downfield, um, and someone who could get physical. Um, Custis seems like he can get physical, but Custis is also right now, at least. I, I don't understand why. I don't know how much you watched like a second time or, or some of the highlights. Like it was amazing how often Western Michigan just had him single covered, and like as much as people want to criticize that Dungey just kind of leaned on him. Um, I know we were talking about it in Slack during the game. It did seem like Dungey didn't really have to go through his progressions because the first option was Custis, and Custis was almost always open or, or in a position where he could make a play on a smaller uh, defender. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to do, like, a full rewatch. I've watched a lot of, like, I've probably watched pretty much every highlight package of this time out of all lengths, and um, I wonder if a lot of it was because Dungey was gashing them so bad on the ground they couldn't really afford to right. to pull off the QB spies, because otherwise Dungey was gaining, like, 20 yards anytime he took off and they vacated in the middle of the field. So that, that created, like, a, a real, like, catch-22 of Custis is obviously unable to be covered by one guy, and you almost rather take your chance on like Dungey was. He, he looked, I think he's looked better than his passing numbers showed because of all the drops. But he wasn't like it wasn't the most accurate we've ever seen Eric Dungey. Um, he missed some some throws. Um, so it was almost like, do we give Dungey like 15 yards or more when he breaks up the middle? We can't tackle him, and he just finds those lanes, and he's so good at finding. Or do we take the shot of like? Dungy overthrows or trust this is a drop considering this isn't a guy that's on our radar as like a superstar receiver or what and obviously burn them all game but um, just overall like it, it, it was hard not to be like super impressed and encouraged and after watching like the post game interviews with Custis and whatnot it seemed like a guy who really needed a game like this like not to like get into his head or anything but he seemed almost like surprised on himself and it, I, I hope this to be something that that continues to uh, like improve his confidence in himself and he can draw he knows now that he can put up a, a, a game like this against I mean I can't imagine like obviously Western Michigan's defenders aren't as good as like a lot of the ACC opponents will face but again I just thinking through some of the quarterbacks in the league there just aren't the defensive backs that I can think that we're going to face that are going to have a much better shot physically against it so hopefully this continues to be a thing um and he's a guy we can rely on all all uh all year because we didn't get a, a great look at our other receivers unfortunately yeah, that, uh, I don't want to necessarily just, like, drop that part of it because, uh, you know, uh, that really concerned me, and it was something that, like, Babers mentioned a bit, you know, during the offseason, and, and he seemed to harp on Butler at, as the answer there. Butler did not look great. I mean, yeah, Dungey had a couple overthrows, but really, like, Dungey went 7 for 17. Dungey could easily have been, like, 12 for 17, 
without you know much changing. I think he pretty much hit Riley in the numbers twice. Butler missed two in the numbers, and then another one that maybe I think he gave up on a little too early. Like I said, I'd say give him another five in there uh, based on receiver error probably. If, if, if Riley and I mean that's I think when Riley stopped being effective, Riley had those two straight targets. Um, in the first half, and then he really wasn't, nobody looked at him the rest of the game, and I think you started seeing Jamal Custis line up more inside um, for the rest of the game after that, and had a, uh, all, you know, was very effective there. I think, I think Riley and, and Butler are going to get a lot of looks against Wagner, um, and we'll get there in the second half of the podcast. Like, they're probably going to get a lot of looks there because um, it's kind of make or break time. Like, if they're, if they're dropping balls against Wagner, I, I think you're going to start seeing Dino make some quick changes um, and, and give some of these young guys a chance because honestly, like we can't, we can't go into a game against Florida State with one reliable receiver and, and maybe Ravian Pierce, um, who was looked at a little bit but did have that key fumble. Um, I think he can put that behind him. Uh, but yeah, I, I I didn't like what I saw from the just purely from the receivers position, um, not necessarily the pass catchers because other guys did get involved there. Yeah, I'm not too worried about Pierce. We saw him do it last year. The fumble was not a great play, but I, I think we, we know what Pierce can be. Um, I thought the two running backs looked good catching the ball out of the backfield. Well, you and I always buy, on the two, buy in on the two of them as better receivers and running backs. I think they're both better receivers and running backs, and I think they're probably better receivers than a lot of our receivers, which is not great. But, I, I mean, I thought they also had decent games. Like, Strickland was kind of used in, in a short yardage. I, although it was weird because, like, it seemed like early on it was we were putting Mo out there, and it didn't seem like we had a real – big inclination to use one or one versus the other in short yardage both of them got their got their touches and made the most of them near the end of the goal line it was the rest of the field that that was kind of a concern but Dungy's average obviously brought you know brought the team up to to that like 5.4 mark um it was interesting to see us run the ball so much though and obviously a lot of it was Dungy improvising but we we ran the ball 62 times and even if you take out Dungy's because most of those well actually a fair amount of those were designed runs anyway um at least by appearances that was definitely a different breakdown than what we're used to. Yeah, I mean, Neil and Strickland had, what, 40 carries and 122 yards combined. I mean, that's not a great average, admittedly. But, like, I think that, that the low averages from them are more a product of the situation than anything else. Like, Strickland's 3.5 is deceptive because he was getting goal line and short yards carries. Neil's line was deceptive because of just how much we were just running him to run out clock. Um, so I, to be honest, yep. like I'll, I'll toss those averages out the window because I actually think both players and you saw it with those like longer runs that they were having. I mean, both of them had runs of nine or, or more yards um, at, at a clip. I, I'm, I'm very intrigued by how those two progress. I, I think Strickland would have gotten more carries too um, going forward. Well, will get more carries going forward, but would have gotten more carries in that fourth quarter. Um, if not for maybe some lingering injury concerns that were, were holdovers from the spring uh, not the spring, sorry, the uh, the summer camp where I know he missed about a week and a half or so uh, back in August. Yeah. Um, the overall, like, in terms of just, like, the eye test, which is not the best way to do things, but I think it's useful in some in some facets, I thought this was a more encouraging rushing attack than we've seen for most of Babers' tenure. So we'll really see in a couple of weeks with Florida State, who obviously got absolutely destroyed on the ground by Virginia Tech uh, in a lot of very basic, like, counter and off-tackle stuff. Like, they weren't doing anything super special offensively. Even though Virginia Tech and Florida State has really, really like talented defenders up front, uh, so that'll be a better test for like obviously the whole team. But um, if we can move the ball on the ground against them, you know, hopefully that'll be a good sign. Although again, like they they look very susceptible there. Um, but it'll also be interesting to see how the this like 
pass versus run continues to develop. And also, like, I know Babers refused to really comment on it, but Dungey was running a lot of design plays. I think we've just I, I think we've just established at this point that this is Dungey's last year, so we are going to use him to whatever he's best at and hope for the best. That really feels like how we're playing this this year, and Dungey obviously is all in on that. And at this point, like, I kind of find it hard to get super like wrapped up. And obviously, I want him to stay healthy, but I don't know that Dungey is going to play in any manner that is going to keep him healthier than like he's ever been, so I almost think we just have to accept it and, like, enjoy it for what it is at this point, because he's clearly, like, he was like a rabid dog on the bench when DeVito, uh, when DeVito was there, we were giving up points, like, he had his helmet strapped on the last, like, three drives that DeVito went in, so clearly he, he wanted no part of, of being out, um, even if it meant taking more blows and running the ball, you know, another ten times during this game, so I, I almost think we're gonna have to just, like, put aside, like, the, the concerns that clearly Dungeons doesn't have them and just say, like, this is what this team is going to be. This is how we're going to win games. And, you know, hopefully we can get through 12 with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Dungey. He, he's nuts, but... but, but, but he's I, a crazy he, person. He's, <laughs> like, lunatic. We really learned this a lot. We learned, like, he's pretty reserved off the field. He is out of his mind on the field. He's, I've been saying for a he's like, he's John Rambo is who he is. He has no regard for his own body. He was, like shoving people on the sidelines for no reason. He did, he did look like he was picking that dude up in the play that started the like, kind of fight. It seemed like he started um, picking him up, but then like he realized halfway through, nah, I'm not going to be able to pick him up. <laughs> it was also a, it was a weird way to pick him up. Yeah. Like by the shoulder pads. Like usually you kind of put your hand out. Um, so I can see why that was misinterpreted. But I will give him the benefit of the doubt on that. But like he was so fired up the whole game talking smack, doing the Johnny Menzel nonsense. Oh, God. So remember when Remember when he, he signed... And and I literally I broke down the film and said, it seems like so he's got a little bit of Johnny Manziel in him. This and then he like, won number two. Yeah, and this was 2015, and like we, we just we didn't see the writing. Like I thought I saw some of the writing on the wall, but like he he's now he's now completed the full metamorphosis. Like now he just is Johnny Manziel. He's a t- he's a total heel, and I think that we're going to be afraid. I think our fan base as a whole is going to be afraid to embrace that, but I think we just kind of have to. He's a total heel on the field. He's a nice guy off the field. But he's a, a psychopath on the field, and we just have to hope he doesn't get hurt again. And he might. And uh, I, there's nothing he's going to do. Like it's so clear now, he is not going to play in a way that will make him less apt to be injured. So well, and Dino like, doesn't care ultimate, anymore either. And, and that's the thing. And like, Dino doesn't seem to care anymore either because we're like we're 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 running this horse out. So it's not like the best thing to say, especially about unpaid college athletes, but. It seems like that's what Dungey wants, and at the end of the day, like it's it's up to him. Completely, and you know what? Like, as much as I like hated to see some of it, like Dungey didn't necessarily run like an idiot either. Like, no, he he, he he's done better about not taking giant hits, and also like in the past, even some of those hits we we know about the the Central Michigan one. Like, some of those hits were so questionable that you can't really the quarterback can't really do anything about them. But he's he's been pretty good in the last couple of years about like taking glancing blows and also he's just bigger than a lot of dudes Dungey's a big dude now he's like he's so muscular for a quarterback oh um, yeah he's insanely big i think now like i mean if, if you if you watch that footage really like you were pointing out earlier the lanes that he was finding and how he just his ability to get past the second level like was was to me like i know he's not the fastest quarterback around and obviously i've watched lamar jackson and and like michael vick and plenty of other guys in their primes like what he was able to do and blow by those lines and find those running lanes, like part of that was the line just being do, doing a much better job of opening up space in the middle. But part of it was just 
once he has a full head of steam, like there isn't a linebacker that was on, on Western Michigan's roster that was going to catch up to him. And, and like, that's going to be the case for a lot of other teams on, you know, on this schedule, if we can get some holes in the middle. I think the only times I was concerned about Dungy was when he stiff-armed that guy into hell. That was, that was awesome, <laughs> even though that's probably what he got hurt. See, I don't think he got hurt on that. Well, well, actually, no, they said what it was. It was a trot on his shoulder, allegedly. Yeah, I don't think he could hit on that. I think, remember, it was like a play or two later when he got, like, nailed, like, pretty hard. That, I think it was either that or, I know, I thought when he got that face mask, when he was face masked, I thought that was another one where, like, that seemed to me like a much more likely candidate. Yeah, he got, that was such a blatant face mask. I really wish, by the way, I looked for a while afterwards, I really wish someone had gotten a gif of the stiff arm. I'm sure someone can go do it now, but... It was awesome. It was, like, again, that's why I even said on, like, Twitter, it's like, just, like, just stiff-armed the dude into hell. Like, just just absolutely leveled him. Oh, a blitzing linebacker flying through the gap on a four, I want a third and, like, a third and goal from the four. Yeah. And he just he just shoved him directly. Like, that dude definitely gave him a sod in his face mask. It was great. Yeah, he's just, he reminds me, actually, running-wise, he reminds me a lot of Jordan Lynch from uh, Northern Illinois. He's a much better passer. Um, I don't think he's quite as... I mean, we don't design the offense around him running quite like Jordan Lynch, but we're, we seem to be moving more in that direction. But, like, in terms of his running style, he's just kind of... I mean, he's kind of like a fast fullback running the ball. Like, he just finds the lanes, and he's just such a bruiser that it's it's hard to bring him down, especially because the pass threat is always there. So that you don't get these, like... You get a spy on him, but even half the time he got, runs a spy anyway. So uh, it's really fun to watch. Hopefully we get a full year out of it. And if not, hopefully the team decides to block and catch for Tommy DeVito a little better than it did on uh, on Friday. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into DeVito for uh, for the second half. I'm sure he'll play a lot against Wagner. The only other one I wanted to mention on Dungy was, do you think, like, nobody's talking about the ankle. Like, on that one play toward the end where he, like, kind of came up gimpy a little bit, I was worried until I saw him kind of start charging toward that end zone and missed by a couple yards and like it seemed like afterward he was completely fine because he like kind of popped up he like threw the ball at the pylon he seemed like he was all right but for a second there I was definitely concerned when that Western Michigan defenders uh face mask seemed to like nick him right in the back of the heel that there was that there could have been something else there but I think we're good yeah he looked fine afterwards I was concerned because he willingly dropped off chopped off the field which is like the worst possible sign of Eric Dungy right um that's when you know it's bad usually he doesn't get off usually he's taken off the field um but he looked okay afterwards so uh, ankle things can be like one of those issues where it lasts for a couple seconds then we called the timeout and everyone freaked out for a bit and then he came back in so that was also like while we were still only up one or two stores so everyone was like super on edge yeah but yeah hopefully hopefully that's not a big deal it doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like anything that we thought was the issue it was like whatever that nick on his shoulder was that was which makes sense as he had the tape on it and whatnot so hopefully we we have, we have crossed off one game of <laughs> no major incidents of eric dungy except for him losing his mind a few times on our team and the other team you know moving forward hopefully hopefully he won't be as dismayed when he's pulled early in the wagner game because he looks so upset he, he, he looks so angry like it looks good kill he was uh he he was absolutely going after Dino. <laughs> when I, uh, I I appreciate it, we're gonna miss it. But for right now, it's I think it's it's equal parts exciting and frightening. He and Dino definitely seem to have like a a contentious like father son type relationship, and it's it's kind of entertaining. And hopefully, we both be, everyone makes it out for the better at the end of the season. 
I, I would definitely agree and, and hope the same. Um, that brings us to halftime, though. So, uh, Dan, what have you been drinking? What did you drink to get you through uh, the harrowing uh, third quarter last week? Uh, I watched the game in my office, and I actually cracked uh, a very I'm months old Miller Lite from our office fridge that no one has had in uh, forever. And I felt good about that. Um, I needed it, and it got me through. Um, that is not the most exciting thing I drank, uh, luckily, <laughs> this weekend. Um, I had was half-jokingly bought for me. Uh, and it's about time IPA from Narragansett. Narragansett, if you are not familiar, which means you have not been in New England recently. It is New England PBR. That is all it is. But they also make some other stuff. They make their shandy that everyone really likes, even though it's kind of mediocre. Uh, the IPA was fine. It wasn't bad. Um, it's not something I would choose all the time, but it was better than I probably thought for that brewery. I had my first pumpkin beer of the year. It was earlier than I expected, but it was there, and I really enjoyed this one. Pumpkinhead Ale by Shipyard Brewing. Uh, probably my second or third favorite pumpkin beer that's like easily accessible. Uh, really delicious, super drinkable. It kind of drinks like a, like a pale ale. Um, but has like really solid but not overbearing pumpkin flavors. Really enjoyed that one. Um, I had one of my favorites I was able to find in a liquor store in Long Island preparing for a Labor Day uh, trick out. Um, I have, and I bought two four packs of it the White Oak Kyle which um, I've talked about here before, but like very rarely find the White Oak version. Uh, I have a bunch of cans of it now in my fridge. It is really, really, really good. Just super like awesome blend of like a really, really good IPA, one of the best out there, plus, like, this awesome kind of delicate vanilla-y flavor. Really delicious. Uh, I had the El Lobo Loco Mexican Lager from Wolf Hollow. My friend was down who works up there, and they made a very limited release of a Mexican Lager that was really delicious. I also had their Amber. And then I had a Daycation uh, Session IPA from Highland Brewing, which was uh, really, really good. Uh, one of the better sessions I've had in a while. Nice, nice. I, uh, I got to see if the uh, White Oak uh, highlights out here, because we do get Cigar City stuff. I hadn't seen White Oak in stores before, so I don't know if they just started, like, if they started shipping that out, because before I think I'd only seen it on tap uh, in a couple places. So hopefully it's more, more available, because it, it, the can was also very delicious. Fair enough. I will be on the lookout. The things I drank, had some house beer when I was out last week. Uh, also stopped up at Father's Office in Santa Monica for the first time in a while. Uh, had Highland Park's uh, Hecka Slammin' uh, Double IPA, it's a hazy IPA. I've mentioned this one probably in the last couple episodes now. Uh, Stone Scorpion Bowl IPA you can find most places. I just had grabbed a six-pack of that a while ago. Uh, had a uh, Modern Times Berliner Weiss uh, Lutari. It's, uh, I want to say, guava, mango, and some other thing in it. Um, had a stone IPA randomly because I was just at a restaurant that seemed to have it. Like that is one of their main IPA offerings. Also had a Florida Cracker from Cigar City. Their wit beer that's always kind of refreshing. Um, and then I was at the Dodgers Mets game yesterday and had a uh, fat tire. So nothing too crazy. I know I've been a little boring lately. Just kind of prepping for dad life, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess. That's an appropriate thing to be doing. I, I, I mean, being boring and then not like it's, you haven't not been drinking any beer, so at least it's true. It's, <laughs> but yes, I, I'm sure preparation for dad life is a slight, a slight step down in that department. I, I've also been just drinking more bourbon of late because my wife said I could get a nicer bottle of bourbon once I finished the uh, the Costco size uh, bottle of Bullet in the uh, in the house. So I, I've been trying to get through that, <laughs> and when we're almost done. <laughs> That's tough. Like I, I enjoy bullet, but it's not like you're, you know, housing a bunch of it. So if you have like a giant, 
handle of it. That, that'll take you a while. Yeah, Costco size is like 1.75 liters, I think. That's uh, yeah. it's aggressive, but I, I brought it to a few friend functions. I, uh, I, I've, I've tried to do it as a nightcap, I feel like. I've, yeah, it probably cost you like 35 bucks, so it's not a bad investment. Yeah, I mean, definitely wasn't. Yeah, I just felt like I, uh, I, I feel like my bourbon drinking is probably going to go down a little bit, so I wouldn't mind having, and I don't really mix it with anything anyway, so for me, like, I wouldn't mind getting, like, something like the High West family or, like, Basil Hayden, something in that general price range. Nice. Speaking of, uh, I guess we, I guess I could just sort of plug um, Aaron, Aaron Goldfarb's uh, new book, Packing Whiskey. Uh, he, uh, he's sending me a promo copy. Nice. It's, uh, it sounds really dope. Just about how people are doing wacky stuff with whiskey and like kind of changing the game on, uh, on the spirit. So uh, I'm, I'm, I am very much looking forward to reading that. I hope, uh, hope other people are as well, I think. We're going to do some promo-type article on the blog and, and actually tie it to Syracuse, believe it or not. So I'm, uh, I'm excited about that. Yeah, Aaron's writing. I mean, I've read his, like, some of his novels uh, and his articles on, on beer and, and alcohol. Really, really good writer, aside from the fact that he's a friend of the blog and has appeared in this podcast and has written for us, obviously. Um, so go support his stuff. Agreed, agreed. Um, but, yeah, back to Syracuse football. Um, we're facing Wagner. Wagner beat Bowie State uh, 40-23 to last Thursday. They looked impressive-ish on an, from an offensive standpoint in that game, but I think most teams would against a D2 um, opponent. Uh, one of their big things that Ryan Fulce had uh, 271 yards and three touchdowns on just 20 carries. Uh, so they're a running team. They don't they throw the ball a ton. Um, I don't think Fulce is going to put up those sorts of numbers against us, but... I know some people in the comments at least were on a little bit of high alert about, well, what if he puts up like half that? Uh, yeah, if he, if he averages like 14 yards a carry like he did last week, I, I would be slightly concerned. Granted, like, this isn't a guy who was like, oh, he transferred him from, you know, some power program down to Wagner. Like, he, he actually transferred up from, uh, I believe, a D2 school, Monroe College. So it's not like he had this huge pedigree. Not saying anything away from him. He's obviously an impressive player. But, yeah, he absolutely exploded on uh, who they played last week. Bowie State. Uh, Bowie State, uh, who I assume is – are they FCS or are they D2? Oh, they're, they, they are definitively D2. Uh, and also their website doesn't exist. Oh, actually, no, it does. Their splash page is just a big ad. What is their what, – what is Bowie State's mascot? Bulldogs. The Bulldogs. Uh, I was thrown off because when you click on their, on their, their website from the Wagner website – it is a big ad in very, very low resolution uh, that says, Welcome back to school with free shipping on every order. And it looks like, uh, at first glance, without actually reading any of it, it looks like a, like, you could buy this website. Type deal. Oh, please, um, yes. <laughs> uh, yes, Bowie State, um, apparently their rushing defense is not great because uh, False and Company went bananas on them. Uh, no one else is actually all that, uh, all that effective, but who needs to be? Um, and then they didn't really get a huge chance to show off whatever passing game they have. Luke Massey was uh, eight for sixteen for 134 yards, a touchdown, and interception. Uh, a very, a very LSU type performance by him. And then basically all their receiving damage was done by another running back, Denzel Knight, who had two catches for 101 yards and touchdown. Who I checked, he is definitively a running back. He was second in the team in rushing behind Foles last year, and he's still listed at running back. So I guess wheel rats. Yeah, that seems like that's what their offense was. I don't even know if I could find this game tape if I wanted to. 
his long was 55, and his other, which means his other catch was 46. So for a running back, unless he gets split out wide a lot and just runs normal stuff, like that sounds like wheel route out of the backfield. Fair enough. Be on the lookout for that. Overall, I think Syracuse is going to win, clearly. Um, Wagner is... I'd say Wagner probably has like a five-win ceiling on their season. So, uh, so not even necessarily at the level that like Central Connecticut was playing at last year. Um, Central Connecticut, after they faced us, actually ended up going to the, uh, the playoff. Unfortunately, yeah, they were supposed to be like really awful, and then they shut us down in the run game. We were all very concerned, and then they ended up being pretty good. My 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 dad's proud alma mater, CCSU, who got blown out by Ball State last week or Miami of Ohio, one of the Red Mac teams. I remember last year in the first round of the playoffs, they had I think like their their starting quarterback and somebody else were partying off campus and got suspended for the game. That was part of the reason why they got blown out in the uh, FCS playoff opener. The, the, the wild century, central Connecticut party scene. Um, I've actually heard that it is, like, for, as far as, like, a directional state school does. I think they, they do have a, a bit of a party scene up there. So I guess not the most surprising thing. Interesting. Well, the more you know. Dan, how long do you think Dungy's in this one? I think he should be in for a full half. Let's let, 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 let him pad the Heisman resume. And, uh, and, and I think we can actually say without, like, joking, kind of. ESPN had him, gave him some third place votes. I mean, that was almost definitely David Hale, but it's it's fine because he. There is... were three votes though, or unless unless Hale put him third. I think Hale, I think Hale put him third. <laughs> okay, so I'm assuming so Hale gonna... put him third. They didn't yeah, say whose votes like, it was. I wasn't sure if that meant like we he had multiple votes. I mean, as it could mean he got multiple votes from multiple people, or if it was just David Hale. I don't <laughs> know if Hale's top to it yet. Uh, no, Hale hasn't copped to it yet. Uh, we, we we questioned it yesterday. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure is the, the one third place vote for him. I'm I, I would be shocked if it wasn't Hale because nobody else on that list looked like they could be a sympathizer. Yeah, and to be fair, like it wasn't like we we you know had another Clemson win in week one or something. Like it was a pretty like you know people saw it because it was Friday night and there weren't that many other games going on except for Michigan State almost losing to Utah State, but. Um, yeah, like it would make sense that it would be him, but it's good publicity. And also, uh, Odd Shark accidentally—well, it wasn't all Odd Shark's fault. Apparently, my bookie accidentally posted Dungey as being a plus eight hundred versus instead of plus eight thousand, which he is uh, for the Heisman. So that also helped, even though it was a mistake. Yes, it had me very excited for a few um, that he had the same uh, odds as Justin Herbert from Oregon, and then it ends up that wasn't true. Nonetheless, eighty to one. You could take that right now. I would put ten bucks down on that. I couldn't tell you the last time we had a, a player at like eighty to one to win the Heisman. Uh, Probably McNabb. Maybe Freedy. Probably Freedy. Yeah. I think Freedy actually got Heisman votes. True. So yeah, I guess Freedy. Maybe Walter Reyes. Yeah, I think any of those. I, uh, in general, I'd like to see I like to see Dungy eclipse the two hundred yard passing mark. I wouldn't mind seeing him closer to like 100 yards or so rushing, give him like three or four total touchdowns. I, I think if Syracuse is up 40 at half, there's absolutely no reason why you'd, you'd want to keep him in any longer. And I, I think, to be honest, like a lot of people are thinking this game's going to be in the 60s or 70s. I think it could be for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised either if it was something like a 48-7 to game just because I think SU is going to be trying out a lot of stuff. I think they're going to be – trying out a lot of different players, trying to see who's going to be able to rise to the top of the wide receiver depth chart in particular, um, giving DeVito a lot of work. Um, so, I mean, obviously if DeVito connects and looks really good um, in, in likely second-half action, 
then yeah, maybe the score keeps climbing. If if for some reason he's he's a little shaky, and to be honest, I I don't know how you felt like on the rewatch, Devito really didn't look that bad. O line just gave up on him. It, that was the first. That was the most glaring thing to me. And uh, it, you could say we're being like apologists. I didn't think Devito looked bad at all. Yeah. He had some interesting runs, uh, which I don't think was as much a part of his game, but I think it's part of the offense right now. He also like I thought most of his throws. He had a couple of throws that were just like bad, but they weren't like costly bad they were just wide but they were never to be intercepted or anything and then that I throw had, to yeah, Custis like, that got negated by the holding call was fantastic awesome. great great uh was that the long out route that was a long out route like where he had a fantastic yeah. read through across his body like it was just a really nice heady play and like obviously Custis was just there to grab it too yeah I, I think I think the the, the stouting report which we've heard from Dino and others like DeVito probably has more, I mean, I would say it's not that hot of a take to say DeVito has more arm talent than Dungey. He obviously is has three fewer years of experience and the offensive line for whatever reason. Um, and, I, and I get part of it having played offensive line. Like, I had, this is dumb to compare this to, like, a college thing, but my senior year we had, like, two quarterbacks and the one was definitely better than the other, but the other was any lot of playing time. And there's definitely a thing where you're more comfortable when you know a player can bail you out or a player is more... Uh, apt at dealing with a pocket, and I think that's probably part of it. Was that like they know Dungey, they know that like if something breaks down, Dungey can escape. But Devito showed he can escape too. He's just not as ready for like everything like Dungey is. And yet the offensive line was just like the same exact first team offensive line, which played great before and after, just looked awful when Devito was in there. And I I don't think that explains everything. No, because they got uh, blown up. Like I saw a couple plays where the entire in- interior line was was collapsed within two seconds. Yeah, and I haven't rewatched, so I don't know if, if uh, Western Michigan started sending a ton of pressure because they had the, the fresher quarterback in. It was more of a I four. I mean, it was definitely a four man. Like it's not like they added yeah, anybody new. I didn't. I didn't think that was the case. So it was straight. Like I, I could see like the offensive line being less comfortable with him in there because it is a feel thing, and you do you do know him less well, even though he did get first team reps. But it should have been that bad. It was it was disheartening, the fact that they looked pretty fine afterwards when Dungey went back in. Like it was just a strange thing, and we talked about it with the defense. Like there's definitely something with the team as a whole, no matter what part of it is, feels so much more comfortable and just like okay with themselves when Dungey is in the game, even if they're playing defense or whatever. It's 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 kind of a mystery. Like you could explain some things, like the defense getting worn out because Dungey was picking up first downs and Devito wasn't, but nothing that uh, nothing will explain like the total. Uh, collapse that we saw. Yeah, I uh, I had a couple people like tweeting back at me when I was expressing similar feelings, going like, "It's obvious he's the like emotional leader." And, like, emotional leader doesn't mean that you suddenly don't know how to tackle. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's something. Like, it's 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 something. It's not everything. Right. Yeah, we we can't just attribute the entire team's success and ability to do anything. <laughs> Like to him, there's absolutely credence to him as a leader, and and something that shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be undersold. But you know, that that said, like there there's just no way that that the level of play should should be that skewed one way or the other, and and that to me is going to be the 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 big concern. You know, when when Syracuse gets bigger leads this year, you, you have to wonder, um, you know, how big of a lead do we need if the team's going to fall apart so completely, or you know, God forbid, if if Dungey gets hurt, like, are we just going to see the same implosion again, no matter how good DeVito is? Yeah, it, it was it was really, I thought, unfair to DeVito for his debut because he, and I, I don't know how much he's looking at like, Twitter, but people were really hard on him, and I thought he looked, 
for a player playing in his first game against a team that was clearly ready to make a run right when he went in um, and really fired up to have Dungey out of the game because I'm sure playing against Dungey in that game was super disheartening. It was it was uh, just kind of really a d- disappointing performance for him because I thought like of all the people he was the only one who was like doing doing what you hope out there like he was making good reads he had some nice throws um, and hopefully we'll have a chance to actually see him finish out a game against Wagner and it won't be such a crazy experience once he goes in. Yeah, I, uh, I I'm looking forward to what should be a, a much less stressful game this weekend. I, I, again, w- looking forward to seeing a little bit of, of like a more settled down and experienced Devito, be able to take his time, run through progressions, um, do a little bit more of what he's you know really capable of. Um, and and again, the, the big big thing for me is just that that wide receiver question. Would really love to see. You know what Butler and Riley can do. What maybe some of these guys like Cam Jordan. I want to see Akeem Johnson in there. I I, I also want to see what Syracuse does with, uh, which should be probably like consistent, um, like normal field position. Uh, Western Michigan did a very like you know Tim Lester, Scott Schaefer, bad football guy thing by just kicking squib kicks and kicks out of bounds to avoid you know kicking it to Sean Riley the entire time, and the result was. The, uh, the largest uh, field position advantage of the weekend for Syracuse. Did we end up with the, lar- the largest? Yes. Bill C. calculated we had the largest. I think it was like plus 22, almost 23. That plus their punter was, was bad. Well, their punter was like, really bad. But like the Tim almost- Lester dumb guy like move of just let me, let, let me kick this to anyone on the team. And it ends up that everyone on Syracuse's team can for some reason return kicks for 25 yards. Yeah, including what was it? Kenneth Ruff that kept Kenny, that Kenny Ruff had two Kenny Ruff returns. was <laughs> Kenny Ruff was moving, and uh, Shai Cullen had a couple, and then who had the was Strickland, right? Strickland had a really nice catch on the offside. Yes, kick, Strickland had almost, that. Almost housed it. Um, Ruff was impossible to take down. I honestly forgot how big Shai is. Shai's a big dude. I wouldn't want to tackle him. No, like he he's like six foot, but he's like two ten. Yeah, and he's like rock solid. Yeah, he's like probably one of the tank. more like physically imposing players on the roster. Their their punter had five punts for an average of thirty six yards, but one of them went for fifty four apparently, which I do not remember. No, I don't. So remember like, that. if you take that out, like the average was in the low thirties, I assume, based on math in my head. Um, to keep it away from Cordy, thing, who's like, I don't think he's ever actually returned a punt. <laughs> no, was he the one back there? I can't remember. Cordy was back there, yeah. Okay, we talked about that. Um, don't love it. <laughs> don't love it. I get it. Don't love it. And then I just want to bring up, because we're talking about special teams, um, Andre... Uh, Schmidt. Is it Schmidt? Is it Schmidt? Yep, it's Schmidt. I knew I read the pronunciation and forgot it as I was about to bring him up. Looked really good. Like, it was only a couple of kicks. But Super good. <laughs> looked just so composed. The ball, like, went off his foot and looked like it had never had any intention of going anywhere but right down the middle. It was great. It was I, I loved every moment of it. Dude had power. Dude had a leg. Like I mean, one of those was like, what, 44, 45 yards? 43 was long. The other one was like 37, I think. So Still like good. Both manageable kicks. We didn't put him in a bad position for his first game. We've had scholarship um, kickers who've missed kicks of shorter distance on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. Like, very happy with that. Um, hopefully he keeps it up, and hopefully we keep on putting him in positions to succeed. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. I, I was very surprised not to see Hoff, but um, after those two kicks, I, after those two kicks, I know exactly why we didn't see Hoff. And Hoff was good too. Hoff punted four only four times, averaged about forty four yards, and a lot of fifty one. Like it was a very Sterling Hoffer to performance. 
he's he's good and obviously we're gonna we're gonna be seeing more of him and all like and maybe we don't i would love to see no offense hoff i, I love seeing you out I there hope hoff gets very little work yeah I, I i yeah i hope he gets no work against wagner and and i hope that we see as little of him as possible because admittedly i didn't want to jump the gun against uh western michigan because their defense was struggling and they had a lot of injuries like this did start to seem a lot like the offense that like was advertised to us a few years ago. Yeah, it was a little fluky in that it was like one receiver doing all the damage and the quarterback thing is a little different. I mean, it's different than what we, we saw, but I think part of it is Dino's using what, what he inherited. I mean, he didn't recruit Dungy. He didn't recruit Custis. He didn't recruit either running back. He Neil stayed with him, but he, he's using guys to like their best abilities versus like I think we've talked about it. I think when DeVito is the quarterback next year, assuming that the plan stays the plan, I think the offense will look a lot more like what we saw at uh, East Illinois and um, at Bowling Green. But now we're just, we're, we, we know what Dungy can do, and we are going to use Dungy for his very, very unique gifts. It's fine to me. Dan, let's get a, uh, I mean, obviously it's not really that big of a deal, but a prediction before we go today. Um, what do you... I know how you see this game ending in terms of a result, but how do you see this game ending in terms of score? Uh, I'll go Syracuse. I'll go Syracuse fifty-one to seven. All right, I'm. A... I think Wagner will have one disconcerting drive where they run all over us, and the rest will be fine. I'm gonna go fifty-two to ten. I think all those ten points get put up in the second half. I think SU doesn't. I think SU does the very typical under Dino Babers for some reason thing and, like, takes their foot off the gas a little too early. And, like, it's not that we were going to lose. It's more just, like, they just got tired of scoring points. I hope I'm wrong, though. Again, I, I, re- I really do hope we put up 70, not because I want, like, Wagner to suffer, just because I do want to see DeVito, like, get in there and I want to see DeVito play well. Um, and, and obviously that means a little bit of running up the score. Uh, I think, and Sean said this online, and, and I said this, and other people have too, like, I hope last week does prove to Dino once and for all that, like, dude, if you have a chance to score 70 and, like, get your fans excited and just shut everybody up about the, the, the fast-paced offense and everything, just do it. Yeah, we, we should have had Dungy finish up the half and probably play the first drive in the third quarter and hopefully scored another touchdown. We would have been up. We would have probably had over 40 points, and then, like, and then whatever, but um, I agree, and hopefully, uh, I, the one thing I did enjoy is that once DeVito went in, I liked that we ran the offense, we weren't like, trying to worry about hurting anyone's feelings, it's just that the offense wasn't running itself. Right, yeah, I, I yeah, again, like, I'm not saying endorse sportsmanship or, or run up the score, I'm just saying, there's plenty of other teams in the country that, that can put up 60, 70 points against underwhelmed opponents, like, and, and their opponents don't have to score 42 points for them to do that. If you, if you have the ability to score 70, just do it. Just, just. Yeah, also, sportsmanship's like a concern. But once you pull your first team, like, you're getting your guys work. Like, it's not like you're, it's not like you're out there to embarrass anyone. You're getting your second teamers, like, worked and actually trying to have them play, like, actual football versus just running up the clock. And I think that's fair game. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I, I think. You know, in the fourth it, quarter, you ease it out and you run the clock. But like in the third quarter, if if uh, if the game had gone differently and like Devito had stayed in and looked good, and then we put in like the rest of the second team, I would have had no problem for like a quarter and a half just running the offense at the pace we always run the offense. And then like once it comes into the once you're in like the the five minute mark or so in the fourth quarter, then you start worrying about getting the clock down. But like you want to get those guys reps and like actual actual game reps in the offense. Just, like running, you know, a, a quarter and a half of clock killing mode doesn't really benefit anyone. Except for like whoever wants to go, the refs maybe to go home early. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, it's the old adage of, like, if you have a problem with it, stop it. Yeah, there, there's definitely a, a pretty fine line between, like, showing someone up and, like, getting your backups work and, like, and, and you know, it, that, that is what it is. And I don't think too many people have a major issue with that at this point, as long as it's not obvious that you're trying to embarrass people. Agreed, agreed. Um, yeah, I think that's it for us uh, this week, Dan, unless you had anything else. I know it's kind of hard to say too much about the FCS game since it's not really going to give us much of an indication on how the Syracuse team performs for the rest of the year. No, just uh, if we look like we did in the first half last week uh, for a whole game, I'll, I'll be thrilled. Yeah, uh, next week we'll have much more to talk about. We'll be talking about the Knolls. Oh, God, if we is... win again at Florida State, I mean, I don't know what Florida State could do this week to erase last week. So if we win convincingly this week, there's going to be a lot of – I'm not going to know how to feel about a lot of what we see on the Internet, uh, a lot of the, the hype train coming about how we have to be Florida State because they suck now and we're good. There were a lot of people starting that train during the Virginia Tech game. The same people that were blasting the defense and right. saying that it was terrible. We're, we're, we're looking at Virginia Tech's defense and trying to draw lines between that and ours for some reason. Yes, as if Bud Foster, like, people kind of forgot. Like, Bud Foster basically had, like, Eminem's verse on uh, Forgot About Dre on Monday <laughs> night where, like, everyone just completely counted him out because he has a bunch of young guys. And good line. I don't know, Baby Ford is it is bad because that is a thing that happens with Willie Taggart's team when he takes over last year aside when they were healthy. But, man, Virginia Tech, thank God we don't play them this year because they look ferocious. And uh, I, we talked about it all offseason. Week three is a great time to catch Florida State, and that was before we knew that they were going to look so bad on Monday night. That doesn't mean they'll look that bad when we play them, but I would much rather be facing them now than in November. Oh, yeah, 100%. I, uh, I, I'm pretty excited about that game, even if we lose, um, as long as it's not by that much. Doesn't even need to be as close as last year, to be honest. I, uh, I, I just kind of want to see what we can do in year three and what we can do in terms of a developmental standpoint. Like it would just be great to get out of that game healthy, um, stay within you know a touchdown or so, give FSU a game, learn some things. Uh, that 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 would be that would be a fair baseline, I think, on my end. Yep, I, I'm I'm with all of that. I mean, as long as long as it's not. You don't leave the game being like, "Wow, we really just—it does not look like we've improved." Like, I want—I want every game this year to look like, "Wow, we—we we are definitely a better team than last year." No matter like really what happens, because like the bowl is going to be tough with the schedule. I still think that's a, re- a reasonable goal that we should go after. But more importantly, I want to leave every week feeling like we are a better team than we were in 2016 and 17. I, I think that's a completely fair goal. Bowl likelihood's already gone up because we beat a, a toss-up opponent. Yep, and beat them, and it would have been a, a blowout had we not pulled the starters, which makes me feel still pretty good despite what happened in the third quarter, which was a mess. Totally. Um, all right. So uh, everybody better watch the game this weekend. Or if you're in the Syracuse area, just go. It's fine. It's, it's one game. You can, you can do it. But that it's was, at 3.30. It's the perfect time. Yeah, it's the exact perfect time. Um, anyway, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noon's An Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe, and uh, go Orange. Go Orange. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, 
you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.